0: Okay, welcome to the 22nd episode of the Bolo Pascua Show. And today we have a special guest. We have attorney Honey Oliveros, and he is a graduate of UP Law, now a faculty member of the DLSU Law, uh, 25 years of being an amazing lawyer. And uh, he is able to practice law, not only in the Philippines, but also in the New York State. And would you like to introduce yourself uh, further?
1: I started out as a litigation lawyer doing a lot of criminal cases in my early years as a young attorney. And then later on, I um, even in our law firm, when we established our law firm, I stepped back. Um, I, did a, I still did a lot of supervising with respect to criminal cases. But I don't know. I, my, my disclaimer is my views may be antiquated.
0: Um, it's very curious to me that uh, the Congress legislated rules of procedure uh, when it comes to the courts. But when in our previous readings, it's the Supreme Court that makes those rules. So like my question then becomes, is there a use for the Speedy Trial Act when the Supreme Court already has its own rules of procedure?
1: Well, there is a use because, as you know, well, okay, let me ask you a question also as a Professor Bolo. Do you remember <laughs> when Congress passes a law, well, until when is it considered valid?
0: Until it becomes when? N- not valid after uh, implied or expressed repeal.
1: Okay, implied or expressed repeal. And what's another way to challenge that law?
0: Uh, if it is declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. Or more precisely, if if it's
1: declared not constitutional. Mm. Um, It's already uh, 1998 when it was passed, the Speedy Trial Act, and it's now 2020. And um, no petition has been filed, uh, or the Supreme Court has not uh, questioned the validity despite the fact that uh, apparently the Congress has, to my mind, well, it kind of encroaches into Um, the realm of the Judicial Department under the Constitution because, as you know, under under Article 8 of the Constitution, one of the powers of the Supreme Court is to promulgate rules, to be more specific, to promulgate rules concerning the protection and enforcement of constitutional rights, pleading, and procedure in all courts, etc., which rules provide a simplified and inexpensive procedure for the speedy disposition of cases. So it really is the within the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court, and to my mind, not of the legislature, to promulgate such rules. However, because this, this, uh, this act has not been challenged, its constitutionality has not been challenged, um, it remains effective. But, maybe also not to ruffle any feathers in Congress, the Supreme Court actually integrated these rules into the rules of court which are now Rules 118 and 119 of the Revised Rules of Criminal Procedure of 2000. Got it. So, pretty much, the Speedy Trial Act is in the
0: rules of court, so mm-hmm. no problem. There. So they reconciled it and harmonized it?
1: Yeah, reconciled to me, you know. The, the Supreme Court is very protective of its... Um, powers and responsibilities under the Constitution, it's jealous uh, into any intrusion. Um,
0: The separation of powers is very important. Why can't we just go to the trial itself? Why do we need a pre-trial? Isn't it faster to go to the trial first? How do we... um, like? So what is the necessity of that or how is it useful?
1: Well, pre-trial is intended to... It's really to speed up the proceedings, especially in criminal cases where life and liberty is at stake, right? And it's constitutional guarantee that the accused is entitled to a speedy trial under the Bill of Rights. The free trial is practical in nature. It dispenses with a lot of matters that can be covered already. Um, it actually also provides the opportunity whether or not to continue the litigation. So it dispenses with preliminary matters that can already be resolved. So in pre-trial, there are admissions and stipulations. Stipulations may be asked to expert witnesses, stipulations as with respect to the facts. So you don't have to prove that when you go to the trial itself. Um, and another purpose is administrative in nature. We need to say these things that take a lot of time, if you do them in the trial itself, like the marking of evidence, number of witnesses, for example, you already list down number of witnesses, which is already practical because the lawyers can now anticipate. Also, the marking of exhibits, except especially if you have voluminous um, documents that you need to have marked, you can already mark them at the pre-trial uh, and just refer to them as previously marked. So that's mm. that's a lot that lot less confusing. Why why not go to trial, deba? Because trials entail a lot of uh, resources. And time, right? But did you know that in the U.S., only about 2% of all criminal cases actually go to trial?
0: Oh. What do you think, boy? Uh, is, uh, my guess is plea bargaining. Very good! Yes! Uh, I saw that like, the problem with the criminal justice system is that it's just so hard to participate, especially when you're poor and can't afford a lawyer and you need to go to a public attorney, um, they plea bargain instead. So
1: Yes, plea bargain to a lesser offense, right? And so the reason why they don't go to trial, because they already enter a plea of guilty early on. So that's a lot of money and time and taxpayers' uh, resources saved. Uh, judges, the dockets are clearer, etc. So pretrial is a lot more important there because there's already an no opportunity for them to bargain, um, to plea bargain to a lesser
0: offense. Is there an is there an instance like that where the accused doesn't like agree with the pre, like how the pre-trial went and where the accused feels that it's unfair for the accused?
1: If the accused or the counsel for the accused does not agree with any stipulate, to stipulate, then that has to be proven in trial. So mm. it's you know it,
0: then it has to be proven as a fact. Uh, yes. So the things that they don't agree about, they can talk about it in trial. Yeah, no, they have to prove, it, especially if
1: it's one of the elements of the offense, etc.
0: Understood. Um, in Section four of the Speedy Trial Act, I saw that there are proper sanctions and penalties that the court can give someone if they don't appear in the pre-trial, or like if they don't appear in trial at all. What is the proportionate sanction, or like how do courts um decide the sanctions for those people who are late or like who don't uh, appear on in, in trial,
1: the sanction is completely different. So, under the rules of uh, under the rules of criminal procedure, um, it doesn't say the absence of the accused or doesn't doesn't say the absence of the complaining witness, but the absence of either the uh, counsel for the accused or the prosecutor who are both attorneys um, at the pretrial trial uh, merit sanction. This is, the discipline is with respect to the lawyers in criminal cases, absence, absence of lawyers in pretrial in criminal cases is actionable um, under our rules on ethics. It's completely different in civil procedure. In civil procedure, if the, uh, if the plaintiff is absent at the pretrial, then the case um, is likely to be dismissed with prejudice if there's no excusable reason for the absence
0: of the plaintiff.
1: So is that okay
0: it? that the accused doesn't attend as long as their counsel is there? If I remember correctly, yes. yes if he, if, as
1: long as the county is represented by counsel, and it's either the POW lawyer or uh, you know counsel, the official, or maybe their own private counsel, as long as they are represented by counsel, then they might, you know, the court may issue a bench warrant. For them to appear at the next hearing, you know, because pretrial happens before arraignment. So uh, the judge might, if the accused is absent, then the judge will issue an order uh, and is at large, meaning you say he's not in, he's not a detention prisoner. The judge will issue an order, you know, uh, a warrant for the accused.
0: Got it. Um, So for the non law students or for the bad law students like me, what is arraignment?
1: Arraignment is pretty much. It's very simple. It's when the accused pleads, well, pleads guilty or not guilty to the offense mm.
0: charge. And one of the things that I saw is a pre-trial order. Like, what does a pre-trial order mean? Does that mean that the courts are saying that these are the things that have been stipulated? These are the yes. affidavits, and then we issue this as correct, and we can go to the the trial already.
1: It's pretty much a summary of what happened during. The uh,
0: pre-trial itself. Got it. Um, there's one thing that this, it's the first time I've encountered it. What's the significance of choosing an affirmative defense versus a negative defense? And why is that significant to be identified during arraignment?
1: You remember your justifying and exempting circumstances?
0: Oh, yeah. Justifying, it's like self-defense. mm mm-hmm. Defense of others, defense of property, exempting
1: circumstances.
0: If you're, if you have legal capacity,
1: minority, insanity. Yes, very good. Accident, (laughs) uh, Your performance of a lawful act, and then you, you know, caused an accident, etc. So those are affirmative defenses in criminal law. Mm. We need to say affirmative defenses are in the way of confession and avoidance. I committed the crime. You need to say I committed the crime, as it's def- you know as it's defined. However, because of these circumstances, the nature of the act excuses me from criminal liability. Mm-hmm. So affirmative defenses, for example, yes, Bolo killed his neighbor, but it was in self-defense because the neighbor was, you know, uh, pointing a gun at him. Mm-hmm. Bolo put took out his bolo and defended him. (laughs) Right? So, so again, affirmative defenses are in the way of confession and avoidance. Yes? I admit I killed my neighbor, but it was in self-defense. Therefore, I have no criminal liability. All of the justifying and exempting circumstances in the revised penal code are affirmative defenses. And how does that affect the order of trial?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, so that means I—I I, I don't know. I don't want to BS my answer.
1: <laughs> pretty much, you know, in regular criminal proceedings, when there is a negative, so the difference is the negative defense is. What do you think? What is an? Nev- I just told you what another. Okay, a negative so a negative
0: defense is. defense is like saying that I didn't do it at all. At all. There you go. Mm. So the
1: negative defense, pretty much, whose burden is it to prove? the guilt of the accused. The, the Upon, prosecutor. Yeah, the prosecutor. So it's the prosecutor who must lay down the case, that, establish all of the elements, diba? Uh, prove beyond reasonable doubt that the accused actually committed the offense for which he will be held criminally, criminally liable. Diba? And it's the defense's job only to prove reasonable doubt. Mm. Uh, so the order of trial is reversed. So that's why it's important to establish in the pre-trial whether there is an affirmative defense or not because
0: that would determine who goes first Mm. and what needs to be proven. In in one of the sections, it's like, time limit between filing of information and arraignment and between arraignment and trial. So they say that uh, the arraignment of an accused shall be held within 30 days from the filing of the information or from the date of the accused has appeared before the Justice Judging Court. And I was just wondering, like, why is it their favorite thirty? Like, what's up with thirty days? Is it just because like people think one month is enough, or like, is there some science behind it? Who knows? That's what they said. We got it. I, I don't see. know. I think that's what they estimated as a reasonable time. So it's more of a, like just an estimate. Like, there's nothing really special about about the month. One thing is because our dockets are here
1: are full. Our jails are full. I mean. It's 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 a logistical nightmare to imagine that oh gosh just 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 too many people to handle there's just mm. too many people behind bars there's just too many cases that the prosecutors have to have to go through, right? Mm. So and also the courts like their dockets are stopped. So you know um, it's it's
0: very difficult. Uh, My last question. Yeah um I so like I really don't understand how to comprehend this when we say an act not a bar or an act is a bar like I really don't understand what that means so like so in section 17 it says act not a bar to speedy trial claim under the constitution act right. not a bar so is it saying like the speedy trial act it's not a bar to-
1: it's not limiting it doesn't limit you From claiming violation of your right to speedy trial under the Constitution. You want to make it a little more clear? Did you look at the exclusions? Exclusions. There's an enumeration of all the exclusions that um, will not be considered uh, a violation of speedy trial. So there's a section there, and there's also a section in the rules of court regarding that. On the section of trial. Diba? Parang, oh, there's, mm. there's no violation of this act
0: if. Um, any period delaying resulting from proceeding concerning the accused, including but not limited to the following. So, one mm. here, delay resulting from an examination of the accused and hearing his mm. or her mental competency or physical incapacity. Two delaying results from trial with respect to charges against the accused. Three delay resulting from. Interlocutory Appeals. Oh my God, I don't understand. Four, delays resulting from hearing on pretrial motions, provided that the delay does not exceed 30 days. Uh, Five, delay resulting from inhibition or proceedings relating to change of venue of cases or transfer from other courts. Six, delay resulting from finding of the existence of a valid prejudicial question. Uh, seven delay reasonably attributable to any period not exceeding thirty days during which any proceeding concerning the accused is actually under advisement. So, in my mind, it's like these are the delaying tactics allowed. <laughs> is that accurate? <laughs> like, like if I run- very
1: good, Bolo. That's very perceptive of you. Exactly. Now, the one that you had trouble with, delay attributable to interlocutory appeals. Mm-hmm. Now, this is why, in reality, speeding up trials will never happen because of interlocutory appeals. Interlocutory orders, put it really simple, is an order that does not put an end to the case. Mm. Right? So these are motions like you, let's say you find a motion to dismiss, And it's denied by the court. So if it's granted by the court, it ends the case. So that's a final order. So the case is kaput. Then you raise it on ordinary appeal. File a motion for inhibition. The judge let it, it inhibit Judge Pasqual, Judge Bolo Pasqual for you know partiality, Being Friends, being friends with the accused, etc. Ah no, with the prosecutor. So denied by the court. Does that put an end? So the the so it does not put a, an end to the proceeding. It's denied by the court. What many lawyers will do is we'll raise it. We'll raise it to the court of appeals. Okay, the court of appeals dismisses. It says no, no, no. If the judge in the lower court was right. What do you do? Raise it to the supreme court. So it's an endless cycle. Okay. So delaying tactics. Are intrinsic in the exclusions. Mm. So these are the loopholes that lawyers are very good at navigating through. Mm. So, what does it mean that the speedy trial, even if it's an exclusion under the Speedy Trial Act, you can actually argue that there's a denial of the right to accuse to a speedy trial if there are these shenanigans going on in the background that fall under exclusions but actually are just really machinations to delay the case.
0: Mm. Got it.
1: So what you said earlier, yes, these are loopholes. The exclusions are the loopholes. And you know some very good lawyers will use that, those loopholes to the advantage. Uh, before we end, one of the good things that have de- that has developed um, in recent times is the Continuous Trial Act, which amplifies mm. uh, so there's there are many motions that are now prohibited, in our rules of court. Right now, those there's still many ways to delay mm. justice to delay justice.
0: And the continuous trial act uh, tries to address uh, those things that
1: now the court is saying you have to finish the testimony. One of the one of the great things is you have to finish the testimony of a witness uh, within one day. That's mm. because you know, on Pabalik Balik and then um, motions for post are they're very strict about it now so it's a lot of work for the judges and the lawyers and you know ultimately hopefully this will benefit the you know the accused mm. and protect their rights also benefit us as taxpayers mm. we're not wasting too much money you know making a lot of lawyers rich
0: <laughs> I see Understood. Thank you so much for for this part.